I'm Cody Crabb. I'm Johnny Flores. And we are the hosts of the Podcast Producers Survival Handbook. The Podcast Producers Survival Handbook is here to help podcast producers, editors, and audio engineers succeed while freelancing. All right. We are at episode five already. Um, this is, it's flying by. We're, do, we're doing, them, doing them quick. In order, uh, one, then two, three, four, and then five. And then five, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, do, it does seem like it's going fast. It seems like five already, wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what, it's funny. I actually always tell clients, don't talk about how surprised you are that it's episode 100 or something. <laughs> like everyone gets it. Yeah. And I'm just, I just realized like I'm such a hypocrite because I we're, just did it. Um, we're the idiots but now I get it. I get it. Not following uh, our own advice. <laughs> well, Johnny is just getting over being sick. Actually, not a hundred percent. It sounds like he's still suffering, but it's, uh, it's just it's, that time of year, I guess. Yeah. I think uh, I got it from you just by talking through the internet. Yeah. You got to get those antiviral cables. Yeah. That's, that's the best that was way my to... mistake. Yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, today we're going to talk about the thing that we probably get asked the most, probably the second most first thing is probably how to find clients. And then second thing I always get asked is like, how much do I charge? Because if you are a freelancer, you obviously you set your own prices. Well, uh, the other thing about freelancing is there is a wide range of skill sets that, uh, or, or rather a, a wide range of ability levels. Um, so this could be anything from, you know, you have, you have a Fiverr gig for I'll edit your podcast for $5 to I work at a multi-million dollar company doing their very high end podcast. And it's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars per episode. So this is a, this is a hard thing to figure out. Like you're just pulling a number out of your butt. Really? Like, yes and no. It, yeah, right. But what I mean is like, of course, you, of course, there's guidelines and there's ways to kind of determine where more or less you should be at. But it really is just made up like you were just saying a number. Um, and so I guess the my my I struggle with this still, like making sure my pricing is high enough and stuff. Um, so my first question for you is like, you know, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know your pricing? What are what are some signs that your pricing is too low? And what are, how are some, what are some ways to kind of figure out what it should be? Yeah. Uh, I would say one quick way to determine if your pricing is too low is if it doesn't seem like you can live off of that. Uh, and that seems like a big <laughs> duh. Yeah. But it's like, you might just kind of, it's kind of easy in a freelance mindset, I think, to be like, well, I'm not working hard enough or I'm just not, you know, it's. Yeah. But it's your it's under your control. I, it I is. Agree. If you want to do it full time, that is. If there's just some yeah. side cash, you know, but yeah, I think if it's a side hustle, you can definitely charge lower on the lower end. And if you're like us, where it's your full time gig, I'm completely dependent upon what my business brings in, your rates are gonna definitely be higher than the person who's just side hustling. We're trying to get a clientele built up and their name out there, your rates are going to be lower. I, I I know for, I could speak for both of us is what I was charging five years ago is not what I'm charging now. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's an understatement. I was actually funny, fun, fun thing that we're doing this today because I was just looking through some of my emails. So I was kind of like doing that inbox thing where I was like finding old leads, making sure they were all in the right place and whatever, organizing it. 
and I'm just looking at some of my sent emails, like, bro, like, and a lot of them didn't even have rates, but I was just like, you had no clue what you were doing. Yeah. (laughs) My very first invoice ever, the client wrote it for me because I didn't know how to do it. (laughs) Well, and see, that's, I mean, that should tell you, I mean, this is not, and this isn't even that long ago, right? We're talking, I, I wasn't even close to doing this full time, maybe three years ago. Um, and only two years ago did I actually full time start doing it. And so it, it just goes to show like this is not something that you need a lifetime of experience to do. Um, you can just, you know, this is something you can pick up and learn and, and do as a career. So um, before we dive too far into that part, uh, so you have a you, you've mentioned this to me before. Um, the way that you kind of think of like, how do you determine your pricing? We're just going to mostly be talking about full time here. Um, so how would a full time person figure out like, what should my rate be for a podcast? I had created on Reddit a thing for freelancers under the freelancer subreddit. Um, oh, cool. About advice for new freelancers from experienced freelancers. And there was one person on there, Barry Hercules, who had come up with a great way of determining your rates. And I use something similar only I did it for him per month and he did it for the year. But basically what Barry Hercules wrote was control your cash flow, work your work out your basic living costs for a year and divide that by the number of hours you work. That's the minimum you need to charge. That's good. And, and I, I would I would ask I would add a little asterisk on that of not just the number of hours you work, but the number of hours you want to work. Correct. Because yeah. If you're charged, if you're like, oh, I'll work 60 hour weeks, no problem. Then you're already setting yourself up for failure because things are going to take longer than you think, or things are going to come up, or you're going to be able to not going to be able to work as much. And you're not planning for vacation time or time off or sick days or whatever. So um, it's important to, or, or you just don't want to work as many hours. So like that's, that's the, that I say would be the uh, great place to start. Yeah. That's basically what I did when I first started was I, took up I added everything that I every expenditure I had both for like necessary stuff like my mortgage groceries dog food um for my dogs not me I do not eat dog food I don't want that out there um and then fun stuff like going out to dinner you know once or twice a month something like that and then uh I added that all up and I divided it by 160 assuming I'd be working like 40 hours a week, something like that. And that's basically how I determined my rates at first, uh, which uh, I was like, okay, cool. And I got by on that in the beginning, you know, it wasn't bad. Well, and that's, and that's not arbitrary. Like people, the the way that rates are talked about is like, you know, how professional are you or whatever. But like, if you're trying to do this full time, that's literally the rate you need to have. Like you need a plan on the amount that you're going to spend. And that's what your time is worth. And then, uh, and then I, I sort of revised that and I, I took that and I multiplied it by three because then I split it up into cost, my, just my cost of me living. And then the other one was taxes. And then the other one was savings. So, um, so that's really how I set up my rates was Hmm. took that bare minimum I needed and then multiplied it by three. Because one thing that freelancers, I think, when they're first starting off, don't think about, and your clients do not think about is I'm charging X amount of dollars because a third of that is gone. We don't, 
you're going to be paying taxes no matter what as a freelancer. You have to. You have to pay into Social Security. Uh, there's other taxes that you just can't get out of paying. Uh, my tax person has told me this. I've been to freelancer uh, meetups where they had tax people out and maybe we should maybe we should find a tax person to, Ooh, to have yeah on. that would be really good we should for me too because i <laughs> suck at this but um and so really you know you're losing a third of your income right off the top because of taxes mm -hmm. you lose another third because you need to have savings for your future and you know investments and stuff like that so that you have a nest egg when you call it quits and hang up your headphones and as a freelancer i would say it's probably even more important because you decide when yeah when you're uh, you know when when you're doing well enough. and you also don't have a company that hopefully is like most employers hopefully they're doing this where they're meeting your and whatever yeah. you're putting into your 401k they're hitting a percentage of that too yeah you know they're matching that so we we don't have that as freelancers so really you need to think about like taxes savings living and having fun expenses so and i would i would just tack on um if you're trying to be a freelance a freelancer full-time typically you get paid more if you're doing it full-time and as a freelancer than someone that is doing a that if with the same experience at like a corporate nine to five type job um i don't know why that is maybe it's just because you kind of have the control and it's i don't know but well, i guess because as an employee you have other things that like they're paying for insurance sometimes. And yeah, stuff like you're that. getting other benefits that the yeah. that the freelancer is not. You're, you you have different rules you have to follow as an employee that the, yeah. than, the, than the freelancer does. Um, there's more job security, so you know. There, yeah, of course. Yeah. There's the, you know also you have to set work hours. You get vacation when right. they you know. There's positives and negatives to both sure. sides. I mean, it, clearly right? we see more benefits on this side. That's Correct. why we're here. But, <laughs> yes. But, uh, <laughs> but like, so, okay. So let's say you're, um, well, and the other thing too, I think we didn't even talk about this, but I think it's important to talk about like, um, you know, as far as like what everyone else is charging, um, it's really in this business, it's really easy to get undercut. Um, you know, you'll, you'll give someone a rate and they'll be like, Oh, I found a guy that will do it for 50 bucks, you know? And it's like, well, how am I supposed to compete with that? Um, and the answer is you're not, it's, you're never going to compete with someone if you're trying to sell them on the exact same service for half the money. Um, what you can sell them on is other is the other stuff. So, um, maybe you have really good communication and that's something that this is, this comes back to the sales part. I think maybe you're not explicitly giving them X, Y, and Z services that you're, they're paying money for a thing that you're doing, but it's like a, a added bonus. So, you know, if you work with someone overseas, maybe the English might be kind of iffy and you may have some communication issues. Um, maybe there is a, you know, maybe there's other things that they'd like to, give to a freelancer, but they don't really want to give it to someone that, you know, doesn't speak as much as good of English. So there, there's things that, and I say overseas just because typically that's who's undercutting, um, a lot of people that are trying to start out. Um, but there's, I think that there's just, there's a lot of things you need to take into account that are not just the amount of money because there's going to be a lot, especially starting out, there's going to be a lot of people that are at your same skill level that will do everything that you can do and more for half the money. Um, some college kid in, you know, whoever, whatever, uh, like overseas. Um, so I think what the, the most important thing is to remember 
that it's not just about selling the service, you're selling the whole, the whole package with it too. Yeah. To add on to that, um, it also depends on who your clients are. Very uh, much so. You yeah. know, if you were to work for like a major, you, if you were contacted by an insurance company or you put a proposal in with like a, um, a hospital system, you know, like Kaiser out here in California, we have Kaiser specifically where I'm at in Sacramento, there's Sutter. Uh, and if I put a bid in that was $5,000, they would not work with For me. what exactly? Just For like, like a whole about, season of podcast. Which like, is how many? Say they wanted a weekly podcast that was a half hour long. So we're talking 52 episodes. Um, and I'm managing the entire podcast for them. I'm scripting it. I'm, I'm doing everything pretty much for them. And I said, oh, I could do that for $10,000. They wouldn't even consider my, my proposal because they're, they know what a major production costs for an organization that big. They'd be like, they're expecting a bid of somewhere between eighty dollars to $150,000 or something like that. Salesforce, I, I have a friend who works with Salesforce um, and their podcast, they're being charged, I think she said, uh, $250,000 for their podcast. You know, uh, an organization that big, they know what, how expensive it is to make a, uh, a digital media um package they they know what these things cost so if you come in and your bid's too low they won't work with you um so something like an individual like a life coach or a fitness trainer or you know so you know a mechanic or somebody author, who makes yeah. who makes things and they're just like i just want this to be a part of my brand they're not gonna get charged what you would charge say uh some conglomerate that wants to right. put out you know, if the NFL came to you and was like, hey, we want to do a podcast, you know, you're going to be charging them a lot of money versus right. what you'd be charging, you know, an individual person. Which is funny because like it, it, it doesn't it's not exactly I mean, it's kind of something you have to feel out because I've, I've noticed that as well. Like if I look at someone's website and they really have got it together and they know exactly what they're doing and maybe they are still basically an individual but I'm going to charge them more than just someone who's like, Hey, I'm just some guy, you know? And it's, but, but the other thing is like the, typically it will be a better experience for them on both sides. They're, they're going to get more for their money because they have it together and it's, it's better. And that's not to say that you should just charge. If you th charge whatever you think you can get away with. Correct. Like I, I would say, um, well, and, and on that, on that line, um, we've talked before about, kind of hourly rates versus flat rates. Um, I personally really hate hourly rates, partially because I get distracted way too easily. Stuff takes way too much time sometimes. And I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to bill someone double what I expected to because I got distracted and didn't track my time. So um, I personally don't ever charge hourly rates. I think it's, it's hard to make a really good case for that. However, something we've personally talked about before is um, it's a it, hourly can be kind of a good way. I mean, you just mentioned hourly as a way to kind of estimate what your rate, sh estimate what your rate should be. Um, and it's also a good way to kind of estimate like a project. So I know, for example, my editing speed is usually two to two and a half times the length of the audio, depending on how bad it is. It could be more, but usually 
that's kind of what I can expect. And so my rate should reflect an hour, the hourly rate in my mind, the before, I'm never going to send this to the client, but my, my hourly rate in my head should be pretty close to what I'm spending on, on the podcast, but I'm still not charging hourly. Correct. If that makes I, sense. I do a flat rate based on what I same thing. It takes me two to two and a half times the, you know, if it's a minute, it's it's gonna take me three to four minutes roughly to edit that one minute of audio. Yeah. And uh, it all depends. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the quality of the audio. Uh well, and even just the people or the style or there's a million things. Yeah. The yips, if the guest gets the yips and doesn't know how to answer yeah. the questions. Um but yeah, so mine's a flat rate also, uh, based on what my hourly is. And then if we go out of sight of that agreement then it becomes hourly. But still, even though even then it's a flat rate, I'll just say you have a one-hour minimum. If we go past this, it's a one-hour minimum and then hourly after that. So Gotcha. Uh, okay. So, you know, if they're like, well, I need to record five minutes or whatever, then I'm like, well, it's an hour minimum for that. So you're paying for the hour even though it's just five minutes. And usually my clients are fine with that. They know because it's a flat rate and they know they're getting – a, a package deal for everything because sometimes I go over what they we go over what we agree to and I don't bill them for that because there's times when we go under it sort of balances itself yeah. out so I don't See, my, my approach to that is instead of doing the kind of tack on the, an hour for extra stuff I'll typically um, just kind of factor that in um, and again that sometimes comes back to bite me in the butt but usually it's pretty even um, and I, I think a lot of, of my clients specifically appreciate the the consistency, like unless they are asking for something way out of like way different, like they have a whole extra bonus episode they want to do or something. Um, and then there it's obviously they would understand they want to you know pay for that. But like I just kind of keep it in mind with my rates. And that way I, I, people don't want to know people don't want to be surprised is what it is. Correct. So yeah. I just I like to keep it as consistent as humanly possible, which is good for me, too. Because yep. I can just go, I know what I'm going to get paid. So yeah, I and and when I pitch to a client, I because one, I ask, what's your scope of how much do you want to spend on this project, minimum to maximum, and then I will tell them, okay, for you know seven thousand dollars, I can do X for you. For twelve thousand dollars, I can do X, Y, and Z for you. That's a clever way to do it because you're basically not giving them an out <laughs> well yeah, you are and you aren't you're basically I saying just mean like they can't use you're too expensive as an excuse you're cor- like well correct. I yeah. ga- i'm giving you something i can do at every level yeah so and I and, like and one of the reasons why people like to work with me and i'm just, and probably the same goes for you is like i will tell them if you can if you have staff or you have you yourself can manage part of the production then I'll lower my get, fees because yeah, it's taking cheaper. some of the work off of my shoulders. Uh, yeah. And that helps with the rates. It helps pitching. It helps them trust me before they start paying me. They like, oh, okay, this guy's legit. He's not just trying to maximize. You know, I told him I, the top of my thing is $12,000. He's not trying to get $12,000 out of me. Yeah. He's, he's yeah, letting yeah. me know there's a range and here's what it will cost to keep the price down. Here's what it'll cost if the price goes up. I also, a thing that helps is I tell my client, I tell any potential clients right off the back, what my flat rate for a typical 
thing is. So I'll say, you know, a 30-minute recording with a guest and a host, so two tracks, edited down to 20 minutes um, with one re-edit baked in costs this much money. That's good because a lot of people might want less. I, I think it is good to pitch high, like, and then and then say if you want to like take some stuff off. Most of, of the time, they don't try to go under that though. Interesting, because they know. Okay, and I explain. You know, we need thirty minutes because we might only record for twenty to twenty-five. But if there's any audio issues, the guest is late, anything like that, then you've got that extra time padded in. And I don't have to go into billing you hourly after that. We've already got it baked in. Yeah. Uh, and I explain how I'm trying to help them. That's another important part of that with your rates is explaining what you get, the client gets in your rates. Like here's what the flat rate gets you. And they're usually really happy to hear that. They know you're not going to just excessively bill them for an hourly rate. You know, uh, I had a potential client recently that was, I knew they were trying to, hint at that and i said i i said I, f I feel like you are worried i'm gonna get you at an hourly rate i should have said this i apologize i should have said this at the beginning i bill at a flat rate per episode for this package and they're like oh okay okay that i okay let's move forward <laughs> like it was yeah. i could just feel the pressure release from them about like <laughs> oh man this guy's gonna get me so yeah well and that's i think that that's um one thing that, I mean, this can trans transition to our kind of next thing that we're going to talk about, but one of the most important things you can do with your prices is just be confident. Like if you, if you don't believe that you should be charging an amount, it will come through whether you're in an email or like, you're going to be over explaining. Like, I know that sounds like a lot, or, you know, if the, if you have any question, if you don't want to pay that much, let me know, maybe we can work something out. Or like, if you, if you phrase it in a way where they can tell, I think you, what you're trying to say is if you come off as desperate, yeah, you know. de desperate, but also just like if you if you don't believe yourself that that's what you should be charging, and and you let that come through, it, people can tell. Yeah, and I think people are less likely to say yes to you, even if it's in their budget, because they're kind of like this seems like they're Especially really reaching. Or once you start dealing with like my my clients tend to be businesses and associations that have about five to 30 employees and, and they can tell, they deal with this stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. They're working with vendors and freelancers. Yeah. Um, and they can tell when someone isn't sure about, Oh, is this enough? Are they going to go for this? They, they, they're used to dealing with, Hey, we couldn't do it this time, but maybe in the future we can. They're used to working with that. Oh, sorry. You know, we don't have that in our budget right now. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and the ends. But if you're trying to do that dance of like, well, well, maybe can we maybe perhaps they, they it just it um, for lack of a better term, it reeks of. I think I think it just you just undermine yourself if you're doing that, like you just make yourself look. Yeah, like you're like you don't know. Um, an easy way to do this, a good way to combat this I've found is, um, an a la carte system. So I've kind of developed, I've kind of, uh, developed this, uh, personally because I struggle like just throwing a number out there. So I don't want to, I don't want to guess. I just want to be like, here's what it is. Yep. Um, 
but I, I also don't want, if someone's like, well, what if I just added another audiogram or I added another thing or this, I want to be able to just say it's this. And so I have a system where I have a spreadsheet where I have every single item that I offer, however small. And I just say, you know, publishing your podcast to your host is this much uploading a video to YouTube and putting in all the stuff in the thumbnail is this much. And this is this much and every little piece. And so if someone says, Oh, I'll, we'll do the thumbnail. Then I can, I know exactly how much I need to charge. So I recommend that if you're kind of like unsure exactly how to estimate something, cause it's a little bit weird. Like it's not your typical thing that you usually do. That would be a good way to, uh, to start there. Yeah. All the carts good. It, it also helps going back to, well, if you manage this client manages this, then I can reduce my fees a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you know how, exactly how much to reduce it by. And they so. appreciate that too. They appreciate being told, well, here's where we can save some money. It, it, yeah, it, who doesn't it, like to save money? It earns their trust. It really does. It just shows like, hey, I'm not in this just trying to get money out of you. I, I really want to. And going back to what you said earlier about like, you know, um, people who might hire cheaper overseas help, it's they can see the value and like, oh, this person's actually in this to try and help me succeed in my podcast. They're not, yeah. they're just not recording and putting it out for me. They, they actually want to help me try to succeed and grow an audience, and gain some attention for my podcast. Yeah. You can tell when you're at like, I don't know, Best Buy and like, you're like, Hey, I need to buy a fridge. And they're like, well, here's the most top of the line. <laughs> like, you know, you're, I don't need this. I just, you know, you can tell when you're they're trying to sell you on the most pot they get squeeze every cent yeah. they can out of you. Yeah. If you don't do that and you you give them room to be like, and look, if you, you know, maybe if you sign up for X amount of time, we can give you a discount. Like, I don't know, there's little ways that you can kind of maybe not a discount, but you know what I'm saying. Like there's little ways that you can show, like, I'm not just trying to get money out of you. I also this is I'm passionate about this, I'm good at it, you know. I'm here so to help that's, you. Yeah, because yeah. that's what they're paying for and and they know they're going to pay you. So yeah. just be confident in whatever amount you're sending them. Just be like, it, this is my rate. Let me know if that works. Yeah. And then boom, done. Well, here's the real question. This is the big question that probably everybody really has, uh, including myself not that long ago. Um, how do you know, first of all, when it's time to raise your rates and how do you know what to do like how what, what's your plan when you when you when you need to start raising some rates yeah and and assuming let's assume that i know you probably have it built into your fancy contract that you always brag about that you <laughs> oh i'm gonna raise it here's what it is um let's assume that you didn't do that uh and you have just kind of a basic agreement yeah. with someone but it's not really it doesn't mention pricing other than just the current amount um so what do you, what's your strategy for raising prices and how often should you do it? And maybe to start out, how do you know it's time to raise prices? Well, don't um, I never just like arbitrarily raise your rates. Um, like send an invoice for more. Yeah, yeah. that's a bad idea. Uh, always like, yeah, there. I mean, really, what? anytime I've raised my rates, which over the past five years, I think I've raised my rates maybe three times. Um, and it was all based around cost of living, you know, yep. um, we re refinanced our house at the beginning of the pandemic. So that delayed me needing, needing to raise my rates. But when we got a new car, we did some other things. I was like, this is a bottom line. This is impacting my, my yeah. standard of living. I need to raise my rates a little bit. So 
any existing clients, you never want to raise your rates more than 20 to 30% tops. 30% That tops. is like a huge raise. That's a big raise. And I always let my clients know months in advance. Months and months and months in advance. And I, and I stage it like probably if I was going to raise my rates for next year, I'd probably be letting them know in June, maybe August, somewhere in there saying just uh, as early really just as early as you can early as possible so that they have time to think about it and always you should have an argument why just you know cost of living blah 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 i'm um um i'm raising my rates um basically what they call an s an s sandwich <laughs> uh is <laughs> yeah compliment <laughs> the poop compliment um but uh you know just basically saying i i really appreciate our time together the, I love working on this podcast due to X, Y, and Z. I'm having to raise my costs. Like, oh, uh, one of the reasons I raised my costs the, the, the last time around too, my, my prices, uh, Riverside had gone up, which is what I use. Descript had gone up. There was a couple things that I use that had gone up in price. I was no longer on the entry level stuff. They had jacked their prices up pretty good too. Uh, so yeah, it was just some cost of living stuff and then, programs that I use, services that I use had gone up in price. Yeah. Um, and so I gave my clients plenty, plenty heads up. Um, and uh, they all said, fine, that's cool. My other clients, or any new clients that are coming on board, though, you introduce them at those rates, at the raised rates, what your rates are that you need everybody to be at. They're, that's how you're bringing them in. That's smart, yeah. Yeah, because then because they won't be any the wiser to it. Yeah. They just think that's your, that's always been your rate. Yeah. Um, so there's two things I wanted to say. First of all, you want to explain it without being defensive. Like, I know this is a, probably not a good time or don't say stuff like that. This is why I have these things that are different in my business. Now I've grown, I've, you know, you can, and don't lie, but like, you know, don't, don't be afraid to like, tell them like, yeah, I, I moved to a more expensive location and I've been doing this and this. And that's why it's, you know, you're going to want to stick with me because maybe don't say that, but like, you know what I'm saying? This is a, this is a good, uh, this is a good transition and I appreciate your business. And so I think you, it's, it's, it's wise to explain it, but just don't get defensive. And then the second thing, so this is the thing that is stopping a lot of you. So let's say you have you're, I'm just going to kind of make a hypothetical version of like a person. So like, let's say you, uh, your prices are way too low. You started out really, really low. You're trying to get them higher. You have f maybe five clients and you're just like, okay, well, I think if I raise my rates, I don't know if everybody's going to stick with me and then what, and then I'm screwed because I don't have, you know, I don't have enough money coming in. What would you say to this hypothetical person that is like, I need, I am too, it's too risky. It's too risky to do that. So hopefully you've been putting some money away. That's why you're, I was talking about those thirds, third and saving. Sure. You know. This person hasn't. This person has not. This <laughs> hypothetical person is not great with money. Well, <laughs> you're going to have to take that hit because anytime you raise your rates and your business grows, you're going to lose some of your existing clients. I have lost clients over the years, not through anything um, that I would say was negative, it was just I raised my rates. They couldn't. They couldn't. They didn't have the marketing budget because I. That's what I usually get paid out of is marketing budgets. Um, 
their budget couldn't grow with my rates. So I lost a client or two here. The rest of them accepted the increased prices. And then any new clients I would come on, they were happy. They were fine with those, those rates. So you will, you, you have to be mentally and financially prepared to lose some clients when you raise your, your rates. It, it will happen. Mm -hmm. It has to happen. Um, yeah, I, I would say, um, a strategy that you can do if you're nervous about this, and this is what I did my last um, kind of raise, is that I was, you know, I've got kids. Like, I was like, I need to make sure this is as secure as I can possibly make it. So what I did was I just went on an absolute, like, client safari. Like, I'm just, I did every little tiny thing I could do to, to find That's clients smart. or whatever. And then whenever I, and this sounds like I have a thousand clients, but really like, so I got a couple of people that were like, okay, let's do it like new clients. Right. And then when that happened is when I sent out like a three to four month notice yeah. on some, on a client That's smart. to when I could replace them. And then if they were okay with it, then I replaced, then I did it to the next person and then I did it to the next person. And I also went from most confident that I was that they would be fine <laughs> with it to least confident That's because smart. that way. Because that way, then I've got these raises from these other clients to kind of pad this if they were, you know, and the, you might get surprised. Like someone you've worked with for five years might be like, oh, yeah, no, I, you're raising your prices by 20 bucks. No, like it's it. you would be surprised always. So don't take any don't take any clients for granted in that way. Um, but also like that's a strategy that you can use. It's kind of like one in one out. And that allows you to kind of do it more safely. Um it, the more clients you have, it, you're, it's just the, the old investment thing. You're, you know, you're diversifying your income streams. So it's not, you're not dependent on one particular one. Um, but if you're putting all of them at risk at the same time, <laughs> then it's like, well, so, so that, that would be my strategy personally. If you, if you can afford it and you're pretty confident that most of your clients will be fine with it, I say, just, I say, just raise it. Um, that's much easier, obviously. Uh, but that's kind of my strategy. Um, I also do a lot of, I have much different clientele than Johnny does though. So I think his, his advice is really good. Um, mine is probably, mine's more applicable to like a business that barely has enough money to pay me already because of like the kind of, it's just them a lot of times. Um, so, so that's, that's what I'm yeah. saying is no, like, I think really it, it depends on the, it depends on the, the situation yeah. too. Yeah. If I was single, psh, I just do it. Just go for it. No kids. I would, I would be all over that. I just raise it all the time, raising it. Um, how often? How often should you do it? Um, really, you should be evaluating your finances. And I, like I said, I, I've raised my rates three times in the past five years. So, I mean, that's what maybe every year yeah. and a half, roughly. I think that sounds about right to me. Like it's kind of when you when someone's more of a long term client and they're you know. That's like, we've been working together for a while and, and it's the cost of living is literally only just going up ever. So like it's, it's, uh, they know that any business or person is like, they're going to be aware of that. And they're no, they know that they might have to, you know, um, is there a particular time of year that you would recommend doing this? Because I know like fiscal years and there's tax stuff and there's things like that. Um, and if you had to pick a time of year, like a month to do this, to send out a rate increase. I would notify when them at the beginning of the new year. So that way, okay. if you're dealing with organizations, like they need to know in advance of the fiscal new year in July so that- Yeah, because their budgets are yeah, set, right? So you, 
you want to notify them at least three months before then, up to six months so that they can have internal meetings, that they have to bring it to their board, anything like that. And then that way they can fold it into the next year's budget. If it's an individual, I would probably do it, you know, five or six, three to six months before January or uh, April so that they have time to like, okay, how's this going to affect my taxes? Um, yeah. What about you? Same, you think, or different? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think what I would mostly try doing is I wouldn't announce it or make it effective around the holidays. Oh, yeah, no. And I would also not do that either one around tax time. If you can avoid both of the, if you can make it so that like, it's like May when you announce it and like October when you, when it, you know, it's, or I just, just make sure that it's something that you're just, just keep it in like a low, like a a stress-free time. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just another email they're getting. It's not like a, and if they have a particularly busy time, like, I think that's probably something to keep, to be aware of Mm. too. Like, don't, don't do this when at their busy season or something. Like if, if it's if it's going to be like that. So, um, it really, what, what this is, what this is showing, I think is every client is different and every single, every single editor is going to be different because you offer slightly different services. The way to look at this is, do I want this to be a full-time gig? If not, then how much money do I want to earn? If I do, how much money do I need to live like johnny said do this do your math of like adding taxes uh and add like another uh 30 for for uh like a savings for savings as well and then just figure out like what you know what does what does your what do your services look like specifically because if you look at any two um podcast producers websites they're going to be different. They're going to be the the stuff they offer. I mean, I know I actually met somebody at podcast movement that doesn't do any production and they just do consultations. So like, I can't even imagine what to charge for that. But like, it's, it's, it just goes to show like this business is, it's really, it is more diverse than it seems in terms of like what people are offering and, and paying and stuff. Um, but so you do, you have some individual like movement on what you can charge and things like that, because everybody is different. Every client's different. Every podcast is going to be different. So, um, think long and hard, take some of this advice and, uh, try to figure out what, what would be the best for you in your situation? Because it's, if it's a full-time job, it's what you need to survive. And it's not you being greedy. It's you taking money that is, you're saying I'm doing this for my job. If you want me to do it as part of that full-time job, then, and I want to earn six figures, then six figures that that's, you know what I mean? If you, you just, you're deciding. So there it is. Anyway, I'm off on my rant again. <laughs> well, if people want to follow you, uh, or connect with you, Cody, how can they do that? Yeah. I make YouTube videos about podcast production and editing and also Descript tutorials and stuff like that. Uh, you can find me on YouTube as at Cody crab edits. You can find my website at codycrab.com. All right. And yeah, and if you want to connect with me, uh, my website is Flores Podcast Productions. And, uh, and you can email us if you have questions or topics you want us to cover. Yeah. Uh, shoot us an email at podcastsurvival at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear yeah, from you. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm on Reddit too, a little bit here and there, but um, I'm not as prolific as Cody when it comes to all these things. So, but uh, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. See you later.